Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. You can find us at bandlibrary.com, Twitter at Band Library, and wherever else librarians get together, swap books, trade recipes, rub our cardigans together, all nasty-like. My name is S.D. Harker, librarian and writer. You can find me on Twitter at bandwriter. If you want to help out the library, come with a friend to the library over on Patreon, patreon.com slash bandlibrary. Got over 300 and something episodes, maybe up to 400 at this point. Whatever I said last time, we'll go with that. But it just keeps going and going. It has been an interesting week at the library. Couple of weeks, really. Summer reading program wrapped up. We gave out all our prizes, all the minced meat that the butcher shop lent out to us, gave all that shit back. Everything else that we'd gathered together, all the names, we went to all the little kids' houses that read all the books, and the ones that didn't bring their books back, we found them. We found them all. That's how that happens. So today we're talking about The Color Out of Space by Howard Phillips Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft, one of the premier authors. Now, is this sort of a cheat? And the next two episodes probably going to be a little bit of cheats as well. Well, not so much one of them, but this one really isn't a banned book. It's a short story say the least. But the author himself, pretty controversial. Let's talk about him for just a moment. Howard Phillips Lovecraft, born 1890 in Providence, Rhode Island. His father was a traveling salesman who died while committed into asylum. Possibly, they assume, due to late-stage syphilis. One of those things, if you look at all the all the evidence together, it's like, Oh yeah, he was probably he's probably going through some shit. Lovecraft lived with his mother and his aunts and his grandparents for most of his young life. His grandfather Whipple became a father figure. He was a traveling salesman and would send him weird stories and art from his travels. Howard was reading and writing by age three. His grandfather, well, he Made him grow up. Little H.P., little Howard, afraid of the dark. His grandfather said, Well, then walk through the goddamn dark, boy. Made him walk through a dark room all by himself. Scared the shit out of him. His grandma died, and fortunately, that put a pallor over the entire family. His aunts and his mom dressed all in black like mourners do, and scared the shit out of him. Later, those visions would become the night gods, cloaked figures coming, doing bad works. He became interested in science, chemistry, and astronomy. He didn't really like biology so much. He was reading through it one day, and he came across how reproduction works, and who grows? Which I sort of get, but come on. 
I mean, how do you think he got here? But he did have a prize telescope, and he let anybody who wanted to look through it. He was removed from school plenty of times for illnesses, breakdowns, but he did have a small circle of friends, like I said. When his grandfather Whipple died and his family money went away, he had just started high school and things started going downhill. He left school due to an unspecified illness, never graduated, and possibly people looked over and he might have been suffered from atypical depression. Around this time, he also started writing poetry, like we all do, except unlike we all do, he wrote some pretty racist shit. Which, again, this makes him a very controversial author, even for the time, which was a pretty racist time. Yeah, he was pretty rough. And he started writing letters to the editors. In 1916, he began publishing, including The Tomb and Dagon, inspired by the works of Edgar Allan Poe. In 18, or 1918 and around, his mom had a nervous breakdown, started describing all kinds of weird things, and was committed. Little Howard didn't do so well there. Didn't work with him. In 1919, he began publishing more, as well as what later became known as the Cthulhu Mythos. All the different astro- astronomical and weird elements that were later all brought together. 1921, his mother died of gallbladder complications. There was a surgery, and she passed away in the hospital. He started attending conventions and the life of writers, when writers would get together, and he met his future wife, Sonia Green, who his aunts really hated. They moved to Brooklyn, and she supported him after marriage, and at this point, he actually started getting better and gaining a little bit of weight, which is one of those, you know, you wonder. You know, when someone moves away from home and starts being healthier, what was going on back at home? Unfortunately, the couple had problems with money. Sonia's little shop that she ran in New York City went down, and in 1925, she moved to Cleveland for a job. He moved out of their Brooklyn apartment down to Red Hook, and he fucking hated Red Hook. And one of his most racist stories, which is saying a lot, the horror at Red Hook, surrounded by immigrants, he just... Here's the problem with Lovecraft in general. He was Anglophile. He loved all the English aristocracy and the high-born attitudes, and he felt he himself, because of the money that his grandfather and his father raised him with and the high attitudes, the high-born attitudes, he was a dick. Let's just call him that. And all surrounded by immigrants in Red Hook, that's just not a good breeding place for someone with who already had pretty racist tendencies, and it went pretty south pretty quickly. And on top of that, he had no real marketable skills. He tried to do jobs. He tried to do a whole bunch of different ones, but it just didn't work out. And finally, he, she ended up, Sonia ended up going from Cleveland to Chicago and he wouldn't move with her. And he just couldn't get published or anything else. So we began working on this one story, Call of Cthulhu, and in 1926 moved back to Providence. 
and having already lost about 40 pounds by his own letters. In 1933, he and Sonia finally did separate, but she later found out, after she'd married, that he never signed the separation papers. And to dispel a lot of the gay rumors, she said he was an adequate lover, and he was fine. I don't think he was gay. If anything, he was probably on the spectrum somewhere. Just didn't know really how to relate to people. Unfortunately, in 1937, he had cancer of the small intestine and suffered from malnutrition. He was never really able to support himself. So if you know of his racist tendencies and hope that he suffered late in life, he did. Horribly. Because all he was really doing in his last couple of years, he would travel, he'd go meet writer friends, he knew lots of people. He wrote lots of letters, to the point where one time he paid for postage instead of food. Some of his letters even bragged that he only ate one can of beans a day. So yeah, he's, he ended life bad. It didn't, actually, it took till 1977 for him to receive a monument on his gravestone. And it's pretty modest, has his name, dates, and what he liked to write in his letters, I am Providence. Yeah, he died in constant pain. Of cancer of the small intestine. Think about that, just... Ugh, poor guy. So let's get into the color of outer space. This story itself, I don't really have a date. I don't know why I didn't have a date written down for this story when it was written. But I believe it was before he went into New York City. So probably early early 20s, somewhere in there. And it's all about this narrator who is surveying. He's a surveyor for a company that's going to, they're going to build a reservoir, and he's out there in, I think it's upper New York area, kind of wandering around, looking for, you know, a proper place for them to flood, to create this reservoir. And he's talking to all these people, and he stumbles on this one place that's, well, it's just this barren, ashy place. And all the local people call it the Blasted Heath. It looks like it's just been burned down. Nothing's growing. Everything looks like shit. And only one man nearby will talk to him about it. A guy named Ami. Or Ami. I'm going to say Ami. Who lives in a nearby farm. And Ami tell him, Something fell from the sky. Landed there at the Gold Gardener place. The blasted heath. Nahum Gardener's place. It just... Well, it ruined the whole land. And he starts getting him talking more and says, Well, when it landed, it was seven feet across. Still hot. He called people in to look at it. Him and his wife and three sons, Thaddeus, Merwin, and Zanius. Zanus? Zenus? Fuck it. And there's also, when the narrator's wandering around the area, he thinks he sees the trees swaying with no wind around. There's weird blossoms that make people stop using the road. Nobody goes out that way anymore. And it all happened right after the gardener plays. See, the gardener, after he called out those people, he started chipping at that big seven-foot rock and 
Except it started shrinking a little bit. And there's these blobs that run it, these globules, this color. He started chipping at one of them, got one of them off, and they took samples off, but they would disappear. They'd shrink and go away, just like the main body of the meteor itself would shrink. And all these weird plants and different things. Think of the, I would, you have to say that the, um, not arrival, annihilation with Natalie Portman. Think of the same sort of thing. So yeah, all the land actually starts almost over-flourishing. Everything looks a little bit too big, a little bit too great. Gardner himself has a great harvest that year. The fruit is great looking, it's huge. But when you eat it, it just tastes ashen, gross. It's just foul. Everything in the area is foul. And Gardner thinks, tells Amy that there's something out there he hears every night. He's listening. It's in the ground. It's in the trees as they move without the breeze. It must be in the sap. And even the salesman passing by one night comes back by Amy's farm and he tells Amy, that place sort of glows at night. And they ask him, what, is he, what the fuck you mean by glowing? What, what, what kind of nonsense is that? And he says, it glows. The plants. The things in the plants glow. But not like bright. They just glow. And suddenly Mrs. Gardner is not coming into town so much after the harvest. And she's... What people do see her, she, she's obviously mad, so Mr. Gardner, telling Amy, of course, because he's the only one that'll talk to the gardeners at this point, Mrs. Gardner had to be locked up in the attic so she wouldn't hurt herself. And the horses started, well, they just started getting a little weird, so Gardner had to shoot them, of course. And then the plants, they started going gray. And they tasted the well water. Gardner tells Amy the whole time, something's just wrong with the well water. It just tastes funny, but what else are we going to drink? So him and his sons just keep drinking. And one night Thaddeus goes up to the attic, talks to his mom, and Merwin's listening, and Merwin comes out to his dad later and says, brother and mom are talking some weird language to each other. They're both crazy. And all the other animals in the in the forest, hell, even the chickens and whatever animals on the farm, the cats, dogs, all of them, everything out in the woods, fucking squirrels and shit. They're either found dead or just gone. Imagine walking through a forest. No wind, but the trees are moving around you. There's no sounds of scampering or birds or anything else. The only time I've ever heard anything like that was, well, there's been a couple times. Have you ever been somewhere where, like up high in elevation where it snows? And you can tell everything got the fuck off the mountain because once the snow starts, it's not going to be, it's going to be around for a while. 
And you, the only thing you really hear is like the crack of a branch and the weight of the snow. But everything's just still and quiet. The only other time I've heard something like that was right after tornadoes. Right after some big storm. Katrina was a big one. You just hear nothing. Every animal had any kind of sense. Ran away. Or hid. You're walking around, especially in a city. And it's just quiet. And then Thaddeus dies. Gardner tells him that. He died. That happens. And Amy comes over to the gardener's house, finds this out. But by the time it gets dark, he gets the fuck out of there. Quote, the screams of the madman and the nervous child rang horribly in his ears. Unquote. Then Merwin vanishes, of course. He went out to get some water from the meh. All night, one night, Gardner says, took his pail and his lantern and went out to the well. Next day, all they found was a smashed pail, crushed lantern, both metal, just sitting by the well and Merwin gone. And Xenius, well, Dad says well, he lives in the well now. And Amy goes over and all these sons may be living in the well, who knows? Gardner himself, not really talking much. So Amy goes upstairs to where the wife is supposed to be locked up. And he finds her. Just a gray husk of her, though. She's just sitting there. Quote, What is done in common humanity is sometimes cruelly judged by the law. Unquote. He put her out of her misery. She was rotting. She's turning to dust. Rusting, in some ways. That ashy grayness, but still alive. Wouldn't you kill her? So Amy's horse runs off after this, but he still has a stick for some reason, for some purpose. Stick he used on old Mama Gardner upstairs. And as he's trying to get some sense out of Gardner, Gardner himself breaks apart. And Amy looks down in the well, and the well, oh, there's something moving down there. And Amy goes off, tells the police, and the police are like, well, then come on. And Amy's like, fuck you. And they're like, well, you're going to come or we're not going to go either. And all six men go out to the farm. And Amy says, well, if we're going, I'm getting the fuck out before daytime. And they look over the well and they find Merwin and Zenas there. But when they empty out the well, all they find is a bunch of deep mud. And then, as they're inspecting the rest of the house, I assume they go upstairs and be like, yeah, that crumbling bit of bit, that's, that's the grossness of her, and that other crumbling bit of bit outside, that's old Gardner himself. And then all of a sudden, this color shines out of the well. This bright, beautiful color shining up into space. 
And all six men hide. Horses, fuck off. Amy's horse, Hero, he just straight dies. This giant color shining out in the dark of night as it gets darker and darker. The trees moving on their own with this epileptic madness. Imagine, imagine, you ever seen one of those ghost movies? Late 90s, early 2000s, where the ghosts sort of move all janky-like. They sort of, like they're missing part of their frames. Imagine trees doing that, just shaking, twitching. Not a gentle sway, but just a twitch. Brokenness to them. And they go out of the house, finally, they get away. And Emmy looks back. He looks back and he sees that color out of space. This color reaching up out of that well towards the stars. Quote, five eldritch acres of gray desert remain, unquote. And our, this is where we go back to our Amy telling our surveyor. He's like, yeah, that five acres, fuck it. We'll just bury the shit out of it and tons of water and everything will be okay. And everybody moved away or died, but Amy himself, government paid everybody to leave because they're going to flood the place. Nader, narrator says, well, I'll keep an eye on that reservoir. I'll keep an eye on the head engineer in case he gets a little squirrely. Because if you remember, this all started because the shit was in the well. Because they kept drinking the well water and now they're going to fill it up with a reservoir and heads up. That reservoir is going to feed cities. How smart are they, really? But that's where our story ends. And again, why was this banned? I mean, it's, it's horrifying. I didn't even do it justice. If you found what I was saying right now creepy, those epileptic trees shaking, moving, find all the horses dying or human body rusting alive breaking apart having to kill somebody it's rusting alive crumbling their flesh drying out to the point everything goes apart read the story it's a little creepy but it wasn't bad no it's the only reason everything about H.P. Lovecraft is controversial is what we talked about he's Pretty racist. In fact, he got taken off the image of the World Fantasy Award a couple years back. Because guess what? It's an inclusive award. Fantasy, horror, science fiction, these are all, no matter what you think, they are very progressive. They always deal in metaphors. They always deal in ideas. These are progressive institutions. People of color win these awards. And many of them were finding out about H.P. Lovecraft's work in the World Fantasy Award was a basic bust of H.P. Lovecraft. Because, I don't know if you know, but he is pretty much the father of all modern horror, of a lot of science fiction. His ideas of the fact that existential horror and bringing it into cosmic origins, he invented that. He is to horror and science fiction what Agatha Christie is to mysteries. Without them, somebody eventually would have come up with it. 
But he came up with these ideas, these existential ideas that what if God doesn't care if you exist? He's just walking through the universe like you walk over anthills and if you get stepped on, well, he never noticed you to begin with. Those ideas of dreams, that dreams can be reality or the stuff that nightmares are made of. What if we are the stuff that nightmares are made of? Lovecraft is highly influential, yet racist. So his bust was taken off, rightfully so. Because no person of color should get an award and feel bad looking at it, knowing that the man whose image shaped it would hate them. Now there's part of me that wants to believe that a man that smart would have come around, but then you've got Assholes like Orson Scott Card, who have backwards-ass views on homosexuality, so who's to judge? Can't change the past, can't change the person, but we can change the future. Make people feel a little bit better while we're scaring the shit out of them. So yeah, that's the color out of space. H.P. Lovecraft. That's where this episode will end. Thank you for listening. Stay in. Read a book. Music, Dances and Dames, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.